0: Specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at tamacapital.com.
1: This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions.
0: Clients of TAMA may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast.
2: Eight years ago, I was introduced to someone who helped change the direction of my life. I'm quite positive that I'm not the only person whose life has been impacted by this one person. The funny thing is, this is the first time that I've been able to speak with and thank Scott Hanselman. Scott is a programmer, teacher, and speaker. Although Scott maintains a full-time role for the web platform team at Microsoft, it is his obsession and enthusiasm for technology and deliberate practice that I've found him to be in such an impactful person in my life. I strongly encourage you to watch Scott's talk, Scaling Yourself which is applicable for parents, younger people beginning their careers, and for people who find themselves in the throes of a life transition. Our conversation is wide-ranging, covering how we can give ourselves the gift of grace, asking ourselves, are we really saving babies, and how to be intentional with our time and those around us. Be sure to check out the show notes where I link to Scott's talk, Scaling Yourself, and the other resource resources we discussed during our discussion. Please enjoy my conversation with Scott Hanselman. Scott, I think the probably the best place to start, um, you're really known in the coding community, but I don't know if my audience will really know who you are, but they're certainly going to know you after our conversation and why I've had to have you on the podcast for a long time. And again, I can't thank you enough for being, being on. So why don't we start with your background and who you are and, and what you do?
1: Sure, so my name is Scott Hanselman and I'm a program manager at Microsoft. I've worked at Microsoft for about 15 years, but I've been in software for about 30. This is actually 30 years and one month this year. Um, I have a podcast as well. My last name is Hanselman, like Hansel and Gretel Mann. And my podcast is called Hansel Minutes. So not only am I a coder and a programmer, but I also am a content creator, much like yourself. I've done 812 episodes of my podcast, and I've got a YouTube channel and a TikTok as well. So I just like to put good information out there. And ultimately, even though I've been coding for many years, uh, I'm a teacher and I will use whatever location... YouTube, TikTok, my blog—that I can to uh, to teach people.
2: So, how I I found you probably eight years ago. We were talking before we hit the record button, um, but and I don't exactly know how I found your YouTube video on scaling yourself, but that I that just put me over over the edge in a in a in a very good way. And so, why don't we start there with? Again, you work at Microsoft and you have all these other platforms that you really help teach people. And you talk about life and productivity, which is at the center of what this podcast has turned out to be, this emotional balance sheet, especially for parents that we're all juggling. I know you're a dad as well. Mm -hmm. So how did you first come about putting that that video together?
1: I think that people don't talk enough about how they feel at the end of the day and that they think that they need to suffer in silence, whether that be in silence with their partner or whether if they're not in a relationship, they're just in silence with themselves. They don't even talk to themselves and they feel like they had a bad day. They were not productive. They sit quietly and they think bad thoughts about themselves. And then they wake up the next day and they hope that it's going to get better. And hope is not a strategy. It's not a plan. It's just, you're on the treadmill and you're running as fast as you can, and you're not thinking about your feet. So one day after being, after feeling bad about myself, I decided to be more intentional and started considering deliberate practice. And I talked to myself and said, you know, this isn't working. I have to figure something else out.
2: So, Are you familiar with
1: Cal Newport's work on deliberate practice? I am. I am. I was not at the time and I didn't have a word for it, but that was the idea that um, mindfulness and being present was something that I was missing. So I needed to forgive myself on Friday for a non-productive week and reset on Monday because Monday is an opportunity to give it a try and do it all over again.
2: So can you walk us through like how you do that? Because personally, I do the same thing. I think we are, to your point, we are our hardest critics, if you will, and don't give ourselves the empathy that we probably deserve. Mm-hmm. And it's it's been a struggle with me for a long time, whether I was in my corporate career or now that I'm in you know, business for myself at Tama.
1: So we are our hardest because we want to do well, but we also... Um, are setting up these systems of failure. We're setting ourselves up to fail ahead of time, uh, which just causes it to be a, um, uh, a vicious cycle. So for example, uh, people who are listening may have a stack of books on their desk. You know? uh, if you're lucky, it's one or two books, but if you're not lucky, it may be eight or nine. And then the next thing you know, what is a list of books that I want to read is now a monument to my own failure. And it's just there reminding my subconscious that I'm never gonna read those books. So I've started doing less and I've started sorting the things that I want to do by impact. You're not going to read those books, get them off your desk. They're stressing you out by their existence. You know, Reminding yourself of the things you're not going to do are, are really challenging. So what I started doing was saying, all right, I'm not getting done, things done this week. I'm going to be more intentional about my week. What are the three things that I could do this week? Just three, because three is a nice number that we can hold in our head, right? three things that I could get done this week that would help me feel good about myself So if I did those three things I would say this was a great week I, I really kicked this week's butt and uh, then I would try to orient my week such that I could do those three things as early as possible so I can get a quick win. So I'll give you an example yesterday uh, is it was, was Monday and it was uh, you know it was a mediocre Monday it was one of those case of the Monday type days and my wife and I slept in. And we didn't get up till nine 30. And when she got up, we were just like, Oh my, we've ruined the day. We've lost like this. We just felt like the day was ruined because we got up a couple hours late. And then we realized that the first step was to forgive ourselves. Obviously our bodies needed that time. So we took that breath. Then we said, all right, we've lost some hours. That's a fact. We're not getting those hours back. What can we do in the next few hours? That's going to be a quick win. She's like, well, you know, I got to go to the library. I got to go to the store. I got to do this. I got to do that. And said, okay, but what's something really important that we need to do? Well, you know, I need to call my mom. That was a thing that she wanted to do. She says, all right, well, let's do that. That's the most impactful thing. She called her mom. She had that conversation and she's like, all right, I've, I've, I've done something that was important. It was meaningful. And then went through the list rather than by nearest like in the neighborhood or uh, most urgent, which is percept- perceived urgency. It was, what's the thing that would make her feel successful in the day? And then I did the same. And by one o'clock, we felt like we had our feet underneath us again. Does that make sense?
2: It does. So if I come back to that, let's just say you get your three things done and you get them done, I guess, early. Like maybe you're, 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 you're done by, by Wednesday or Thursday what do you do because, and I'm asking this personally because I, I think I struggle with this. I can write those three things down on Monday mm-hmm. or Sunday night when I'm prepping for the next week and then I get them done. And rather than feeling great about myself, I feel like, Oh, I still got another two or three days left in this week. I gotta, I gotta do more rather than just stop and enjoy it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> I think that people do not give themselves enough grace and people do not compliment themselves enough. I think that when you win something, you like you won, you, you did three things by by Wednesday. You should give yourself a little bit of grace there. You should think about your expectations and reevaluate your expectations on yourself. Because usually stress and frustration and the sense that you need to do more is actually because you have an unrealistic standard that you're setting for yourself. But you set a standard. You said you were going to do three things and you did them. Why won't you give yourself credit for that? So is there,
2: is there a way, this is going to turn into a therapy session with you, Scott. Is, this, is there a way to help lower the standard without feeling like crap?
1: <laughs> yeah. Who, you have to ask yourself who created the standard. I did. Exactly. So when you meet the standard, when you set the grading curve and you get an A, are you not going to give yourself the A? Are you going to change the curve? You set the curve, right? It is not healthy to move the finish line. And this, is,
2: and this actually, I got really interested in this uh, uh, probably a year or two ago because what I was finding, I was doing this on my own when it came to financial planning. And I was seeing some of my, my family office clients do the same thing. And Morgan, Morgan Housel has this term of stopping the goalpost from moving. Mm-hmm. Like, how do you define enough? And once you define enough, then stop. Right. And, and I think a lot of people, me included, struggle with you know, getting to that point where it's like, okay, I, 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 got, I wrote down what I wanted to do, which is step number one, and I got there. And then it's always, well, what's next? What's the
1: next yeah. thing? How would you treat a loved one if they had come to you with this feeling? You would tell them, you need to give yourself a little grace. You did a great job. Maybe you need to take Thursday off. That's what you would tell them, but you won't tell yourself. Yes, that's correct. Great. <laughs> great. Grace, grace is not a luxury. Grace is a gift uh, that you give yourself. Um, and. Um, There's a a great uh, writer named Rebecca Christine, who has a blog, who she's a writer and an educator and a counselor. And she says, grace is not a privilege or a luxury, right? Life is a journey, not a destination. So if you're not going to give yourself that grace, then why would you give it to someone else? Good point. Yeah.
2: So there's, there's a, on my, on my desk here, the, um, the poem "The Station" by Robert Hastings. Not sure if you've ever heard of it or not, mm-hmm. but uh, for for my uh, family office clients that are listening to this, um, don't be surprised when you see this as a Christmas gift in <laughs> uh, coming your way. And it's, and that's the, the whole point of the 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 poem by Hastings is that life is a journey and it's supposed to be enjoyed. The station is just a uh, point on the horizon that you'll never get to. It's always, it's always moving.
1: Yeah.
2: And Dan Sullivan has wrote a, a great book on this called the gap and the gain, um, as well. And I think I, I really kind of, I've been tying those back to, you know, your, um, scaling yourself, uh, talks over these last few months and, and trying to give, give myself and really practice what I preach, and give myself that own grace, and letting my clients know it's okay to <laughs> figure out what this enough is to where we can stop moving the goalpost.
1: Right, right. Grace isn't an action that you take. It's not a, a moment in time. It is a conscious decision. It is a mindset by which you choose to be kind to yourself rather than critical. You are cruel. And I'm going to be clear about that word. You're being cruel to yourself while being kind to others. So with you, if you love yourself, then you will be kind to yourself. If your child or your partner came to you feeling like this, you would give them all this great advice that we're giving each other right now. Except you, we, you, won't give it to ourselves. So giving yourself room, understanding that there will always be more. You will die with stuff undone. And you have to know that that's okay and let that go. You're not going to get your to-do list. I'm probably not going to learn Chinese. It's been on the list. I'm still working through Chipotle level Spanish. I'm probably (laughs) going to die having never learned Chinese. But am I going to shake my fist at the last moment and go, my one (laughs) thing on the to-do list is I never learned Chinese, right? You're just not going to get those things done. So that's why you have to release these things to the universe. Turn off social media, turn off push notifications. There's no one push notification. I don't need anything pushed to me. I got enough stuff. Now you're pushing things into my to-do list. Turn all that stuff off. You got to let that time for deep work happen. And then when the deep work is over, give yourself a gift. After this podcast, I'm going to go get a McMuffin. Is it probably going to kill me at some point? Probably, but I deserve it.
2: Well, one of the, I'm going to, obviously we're going to link to a, a, our show notes on this episode are just going to be packed. I already started putting those together before we hit the record button and your, your um, uh, speeches, lectures, I, you know, to me, when you're up there, you're like a professor. I'm going to link to all those. And so I don't want to necessarily get into all the things that you, you talk about the, the, how you manage like email and turn off push notifications. Mm-hmm. But what I wanted to focus on during our conversation was really to go like another level or two deep. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that always stood out with the Scaling Yourself lecture was this understanding of efficiency versus effectiveness. Yeah, Can you walk us through, because you even point out those two words sound really, really similar, but they're not.
1: Yeah, I have been very blessed to give that talk in different countries where English is not the first language. And in chatting with different people, whether it be in a country where Arabic is their first language or a country where French is, sometimes if you go into you know, the dictionary or even Google Translate and you put in the word effectiveness and you put in the word efficiency, you'll get the same word. So even native English speakers, if you say, hey, quick, what's the difference between these two words? They'll go, uh, uh you know, because you can, eh. And you can kind of figure it out. But the way that I've decided to phrase it is that effectiveness is, a, is being goal oriented. To be effective is to pick a thing to do and to do that right thing. Like I picked a thing. Was that the right thing to do? That was the right choice. And then once you've picked it, efficiency is doing that thing right. So effectiveness is doing the right things, and efficiency is doing things right. If you're a runner, if effectiveness is picking the direction that you run while efficiency is being a very good runner in the direction that you have picked. So orienting, uh, you know, if you decide to, to, to do the wrong thing for your client, but you do it really well, that's going to be an amplified decision. You are very efficiently were ineffective for that client.
2: So how did you, how did you come about that, um, this, this effectiveness and efficiency? Like how did how did you work that into scaling yourself and the work that, that you do? Because I know, like we've talked about, you, you've got a full-time job at Microsoft, but yet you, you make the time to do all these other really teachable moments um, on various platforms.
1: Well, it all comes down to thinking about what does impact mean? At Microsoft, we have these things called OKRs, right? Objectives and Key Results. And we have an objective like, you know, delight the customer. And then a key result might mean 20% more downloads of this product or something like that. And then we have an associated business impact. Is that going to be a good thing for the business, a bad thing for the business? And then we are promoted or rewarded based on our uh, relative impact. That's a pretty good analogy for how one should run their life. The difference is, though, with a business the business goals are pretty clear, like make more money, shareholder value, blah, blah, blah. But when people get married or when people buy a house or when people you know move out of their parents' house and go on on their own for the first time, they don't tend to make business plans. They don't tend to make plans at all. Like we spend all this time writing marriage vows, but no one ever writes like a marriage plan. Like what is it that we're doing here exactly? So I try to apply the same sense of rigor about whatever our objectives and our key results to to my regular life. So when my wife and I had our marriage vows, we actually, she has an MBA. She was like, well, what are we really doing though? Like, what's our belief system? Like, what's our thing? Like, yeah, maybe you brush your teeth in a way that I find weird, but what's the point of this? And it's like, well, we decided early on, we've been married for 22 years, that we wanted to live a drama-free life where we could help as many people as possible and surround ourselves with family. So when we are thinking about stuff in our life, we go back to that core value, whether it be that business value that you're doing at work or that personal value. And a lot of times we say, well, yeah, those values are there. They're in the background. No, I'm talking about like, let's just level set. Let's, let's stop. Let's stop this argument. Let's stop this moment or whatever. And let's say, is this a, a core value? Is this a thing we should be doing? Having those conversations in your personal life is the same as a business person being in a meeting and going, well, hang on, is this even a business we want to get into? You see how that works? It might sound aseptic. It might sound like, oh, weird. He's taking business things and applying it to his personal life. He must have an awful relationship with his wife. It's not not about that. It's about pausing and waking up out of the matrix for a moment and being present and saying, what is it we're doing here? Is this the right thing to do? And then saying, okay, if it is, I'm gonna reassert that this is the thing. Now I've made my effective choice. And now that I have a plan, I'm gonna do it as efficiency, as efficiently as possible.
2: Well, I I love that you brought that up because one of the things that I wrote down like right before we started recording as well is going back to one of the, the, the lectures. I think you were you were over in another country when when you recorded one of these, and you made the point on how. The people that you, the speaking engagement that you were doing, the people wanted to take you out and show you their city.
0: Mm -hmm. And as
2: much as you wanted to see their beautiful city, you're Mm -hmm. like, no, I'm getting on my on the plane and going back home because I only have 52 Saturdays a year with my four year old son. You remember Mm
1: -hmm. that? Yeah, I do remember that. Yeah. So it's a little bit it's a little bit morbid, but you know we have about four thousand weeks right? That means you have about 4,000 weekends in your life before you're dead. Um, and if you really want to get more but I made a website called keysleft.com. You go to KeysLeft, you put in how old you are and how fast you type, and it'll tell you how many emails you've got left. So every time you write an email, you ask yourself, should I have put that in a book? Should I have put that in a screenplay or a poem or a love letter? No, I sent an email to my boss. Well, you're not getting those keystrokes back. So it's one of those things where it's like, I'm all alone in Egypt and they want to take me to see the Sphinx. Or I can go and hang out with my two-year-old. I'm going to go back and see my two-year-old. And people might say, you're insane. You should have hung out. The pyramids. Oh my God, the pyramids. I would rather take my son to see the pyramids later. But right now, that's a, there's 52 weekends and I'm going to miss one. That's 2% of my year. If one weekend 2% of your years. Imagine the little Windows progress bar, right? <laughs> yep. you've, you've got one of the, and it, it, every week, it's 2%, 2%, right? So if you start thinking about things like that, it answers the questions of what should I be doing very clearly. So to, to follow
2: that up, given how you you know, have your full-time role at, at Microsoft and you know all the other ventures that, that, you, that you do, how do you balance the two in your family and your personal life and i know it's a very loaded question and before you answer you know I, I readily admit that and i tell people this often and and i know for a fact it's this way with my life as well is that i think this idea or this concept of work life balance is a myth okay. there are times where our work will require us to do more and there are times where our family lives will require us to do more and be there more. Mm-hmm. And so it's, and when you, if you can envision the, the seesaw, it's never level, plan, it's never a level plane, it's, it's up or down.
1: Yeah. Uh, the idea that it's this or that, or it's this side of the, the, the coin or that side of the coin. Um, one, of the, uh, one of the lowercase a arguments that I have with my wife is whether or not I should see my, you know, have my phone with me or whether it should be like I leave work and the phone is gone. I think it's, I've tried to tell her, I believe that it's more of a, of, a, of a continuum. Like, yes, it would be rude for me to be at Red Robin and we're having burgers with the kids and I'm suddenly on my phone. But at the same time, if there is an urgent thing, I can take a moment and say, all right, is this important? Is this a thing that is truly going on? And the agreement that I've made with my wife is that three or four times a year, something will happen at work. Could be a PR thing, could be finance, could be whatever. Like this is a fire. It's a real fire. The problem is if it's every Saturday, right? If there's 52 fires every year, then that's unhealthy. But if either my job is unhealthy, my relationship with my boss is unhealthy, my relationship with my phone is unhealthy. You know, if you're finding yourself at, you know, at Olive Garden, sneaking into the bathroom <laughs> to check email, that is probably unhealthy. But if you have a, a conscious, focused agreement with your partner that, you know, a couple of times a year, there's going to be a thing. This is one of those times. Then that's okay. And you're going to fall off the wagon, right? You're going to fall off the wagon. You say, oh, my goodness, I, I got addicted again. I've done that. I'm really, really aggressive about my notifications. I don't want anything pushed to me unless it's urgent. So I have special rules in my email that only pop up the little Outlook toast, you know, if it's my boss or a couple of different people. Like if Satya Nadella, CEO of Microsoft emails me, that is urgent. It doesn't matter where we are, kid's birthday. But, you know, if my boss emails me uh, on a Sunday, it's probably not a big deal. If he calls me, it's probably a big deal. You see the difference? Yes. So
2: I was actually going to go, I wanted to go there next where, and again, you the the your lectures on th- this topic scaling yourself are the really the place to go is how do we find ways to make us to make our work better and you know i had a front row seat to this when i was in corporate america and had a big staff and people constantly replying as soon as email comes in like i we mm. talked about off off camera if you will and i i see it with uh, my wife, um, all the time, um, uh, Teresa, and it's it's a real struggle. And can you provide our, our our audience with maybe like a couple of you know ideas that that we can utilize to to help better our work environment?
1: Everyone has a different job, but. For me, it was realizing that I'm not actively saving babies today. I have a blog post called Software and Saving Babies, (laughs) where particularly early in career or younger people get really up and, you know, like get in a twist about stuff. And like, hey, we're not saving babies. Now, if you are actively involved in baby saving software, if you're supporting the finance and, you know, the capital needs of fine, then yes, that's urgent and you should do that. But as a general rule, if I'm working on Windows Notepad, It's probably not saving babies right now. So getting that sense of perspective helped me. Then realizing that the feeling of of serotonin, when you pull to refresh in Outlook or in your mail app and you like pull down on your phone and something pops up, whether it be Mm -hmm. a notification, a like, an email, that is excitement. Someone cares about me. What? There's someone out there. They really like me. That's urgency addiction. That is, a, that is an actual thing. And I'm not saying I'm not immune from it. I'm saying that I note it. I go, ooh, I have been sitting on the toilet scrolling too long. Is that a gift that I'm giving myself? Like, okay, you know, I had a rough week. I'm going to sit on the can and I'm going to scroll through Facebook. And that's because I want to. I'm doing it intentionally. That's different from, whoa, I just lost 30 minutes and I don't know what happened. That's the trick. So, from a work perspective, if you remind your coworkers, like, is this what you want to be doing right now? Is this what feeds your spirit? Is this what moves the business forward? Is this the thing? Is your goal to get out of the office as fast as possible? You know what I mean? There's that myth that people work eight hours a day. Most people work about six, and about two hours a day is just goofing around. Well, maybe come and just work the hard six and then leave. <laughs> but you can't do that without intentionality.
2: Yeah. And there's, you know, I think. With COVID, there obviously there's been this new experiment of of working at home. But I know prior to that, I've I've read papers about companies doing just that, where they are working six day six hours a day, and because they know, like if you come in the office, just work those six hours, and they they had amazing uh, response and input and, and and productivity. I would I would imagine. With that, because people could leave early to get their kids from school or get to the soccer game or soccer practice yep. and whatnot.
1: Yep, acknowledging that things are different is a really important aspect of things. Uh, a lot of people came to me because I've worked remotely for almost 15 years and said, "When COVID happened, like, oh, this is great, Scott. Tell us all about your your secrets and tell us how how I'm supposed to do things now." It's like, well, this isn't remote work, right? Remote work means that I can. Go to McDonald's and use their Wi-Fi, and I could go to Starbucks, and I could sit in a park, and I could do all these different things. You know, I I used to sit in the mall and just have the energy of people walking around me, so that I could have that energy, and that's not a thing that we're able to do anymore. So, uh, acknowledging that remote work and quarantine work are not the same thing.
2: One of the one of the struggles I had transitioning from my corporate career into Tama on a full time basis was not being around people anymore. Like Mm. I'm here in my office. I look to the left, there's a wall. I look to the right, there's a wall and there's a wall in front of me and a wall behind me. And that's it. And to your point, I would go to my local library. Fortunately, I live in a nice community. We have a fairly new library and I would go there just so I could be around some people. And occasionally I would go to the Panera to be around even more people to get that that energy.
1: Yeah. To pretend that it's an office.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's, it's a good
1: feeling. It is it, lovely.
2: It is. And I think I'm, I missed that that too during COVID. And I was like, just longing to, to get, get out of these four walls. Yep. So what, what was COVID like for you? I was actually going to bring this up. So probably should just do it now. What was COVID like for you with working and, and balancing things from home?
1: Well, so the first thing that we noticed was that I was spending more time on meetings because everyone jumped on Teams and everyone jumped on Zoom uh, when before I could actually have some peace to myself. there were me- I realized that there were meetings happening in rooms that I wasn't in. But now, since everyone's got to be on Teams, they, they, we, we, we over-meetinged. You know, what I mean, every meeting was I was invited. So I went from two or three hours of meetings a day to six and seven. So then I felt that I was having to work, you know, like, you know, that feeling like it's been video calls all day. So now I'll work at night when the kids are asleep. Yes, (laughs) that started. So I've been been looking at my calendar and just actively saying no to stuff. That's a challenging situation because there is inherent privilege in the ability to say no. You and I as information workers uh, are able to say, you know, I don't feel good today. I'm going to cancel that meeting or, you know, I need lunch. I'm going to cancel those two meetings which someone working the friolator, you know, can't do. Uh, If I have to get on the bus and be at my shift by nine, uh, COVID or not, that is is really challenging. But for the information worker, I'm looking at my calendar right here. It looks like a game of Tetris. The calendar (laughs) things are popping down in here. And it's like, okay, you know, I see two one-on-ones and a check-in. I could probably push and the business would be fine. And I could go for a walk. Giving yourself that mental health break is is important. Knowing that you can is the grace that you give yourself.
2: I remember one of the one of the pieces of uh, your lecture too was if if um, and forgive me if I if I misparaphrase your 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 quote, but it was basically telling yourself, "Oh, I just I can just work one more night on this and mm-hmm. and be done with it." I can just work one more night and be done with this. If you have to tell yourself that it's just one more night and be done with it and you're not, you got a problem.
1: Right. Well, because it's, you know, remember what I said a moment ago that uh, I tell my wife every, you know, every three or four months, it's like, there's a, there's a time. It's a, it's conference season or it's a moment or it's a thing that's going on that I have to to deal with. Um, If that's every week, if it's like, you know, I like, like yesterday I worked late. I worked until nine yesterday. I gave my family a heads up. I told the kids I loved them. This is a rough day. Monday's going to suck. I'll be out at nine. All of that is setting expectations, right? Because if you don't set expectations, then that's going to build up resentment. Hey, yeah. you didn't come to dinner. Hey, you never showed up. Hey, the kids went to bed and never saw you. All of that is literally resentment. But by setting the expectation that, all right, I'm going to work late. Now, if I do that five, six days a week, that's unhealthy. That's a symbol of something unhealthy. The occasional push is okay, but doing it more than once or twice is a problem.
2: Yeah, unfortunately, I, I think my wife Teresa does listen to the podcast, and she she knows that I've not been very healthy with this lately. So um, hopefully, she will uh, take lots of notes on this on this uh, episode. Um, you know, as a As a father, you know, we have, you know, a lot of the listenership are our parents. Um, You know, as a dad, how, how do you, well, I want to make sure I phrase this question correctly is what I'm looking for, Scott, is how do you, what are keys to balancing your, your home life with your work life and other demands? Um, Again, like going back, we know that it's not always it's not always going to be perfectly in balance, but are there things that you do that kind of give you an edge that may be able to help other, uh, parents out there in trying to, you know, devote or structure their day, um, in a way that's more conducive to being there for the things that are, will impact them, their lives the most.
1: I don't know. That's an interesting question. Um, I have been trying to remind the kids to be intentional without getting them on the productivity bandwagon. Like, I don't want them to get into their heads that they need to be productive. I do think that there's a difference between being intentional about your time and being productive. So I don't use the word productivity when I talk to the kids um, because that implies that their job is to produce and then that's the whole capitalism, blah, blah, blah thing. It's more that like, is this thing that you're doing the thing you should be doing right now? Is this the time you should be spending? So if I tell them that about their time, then they know that I do the same to myself, right? So then like oftentimes the, the 13-year-old will come in like at three o'clock when they get back from school and all they want to do is talk about their day, but that's, that's, that's a tough time for me. So I've been trying to balance like, do I adjust my entire day? Because it's clear that the 13-year-old is having a moment basically every day at three thirty when they get home from school. Like, do I just start clearing out? Like that would be the, the, the perfect thing to do clear out a half an hour, sit with them. But then that would maybe push me later into the day. Right. So now we've kind of come to a balance where he can come in, whether I'm on a meeting or not, I give him a hug, tell him I hope he's doing well and I'll see him in 90 minutes. Right. As opposed to keeping the door shut and don't bother me. Cause he comes in with all this energy Yeah, and he wants to share his day I can't really do the half an hour share right now. But all of that is trying to be above board and clear about what my expectations are and respecting that he's feeling some kind of way.
2: Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah, that you're you're it's back to like setting those expectations. And the fact that you're a 13-year-old wants to run in from school and have conversations with you, Scott, is amazing. So <laughs> I my, my uh, 11-year-old, almost 11-year-old triplets, uh, my boys won't do that, but my my girls will still. So it's um, yeah, up to, to you. Hang on
1: to that as long as you possibly can. Yes.
2: Um, so as we're kind of wrapping our, our time down, because I know I, I, I only have you for a finite period of time, you know, when you look back at, All the talks that you've given on scaling yourself, what would be the one or two things that really resonate for you that you would want people to know about um, the points that you're trying to get across?
1: I think the remembering that everyone is going to fall off the wagon, right? That, That idea that you're going to have great weeks and you're going to have great days and then you're not like you're going to gain some weight back or you're going to try to quit Diet Coke and then you're going to get back on the Diet Coke. You know, the idea that you're somehow going to like achieve a six pack and have like that Tim Ferriss, whatever life it's just, that's, there's only one Beyonce, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. and there's 8 billion people who think that they're Beyonce, but for the most part, you're not Beyonce. Right. So having unreasonable expectations is the dream killer. But trying to set expectations with yourself, with your partner, with your family, with the understanding, like you mentioned before, that it's this wave, it goes up and down, there's going to be good weeks and bad weeks. But say that, like I had this conversation with my wife, literally this morning, I was like, man, this last week kind of sucked, didn't it? She's like, yeah, why? I don't know. Like, I just talked about it. Just like, why do we think this week sucked? I'm like, oh, well, you know, the, there was a package that was laid and that was annoying and that threw us off. And I lost a couple hours here. And then this phone call and this family drama. And then, Oh, okay. Well, I kind of see now how that week fell apart. Okay. Nobody was to blame. Just something happened. Having those kind of like postmortems and stuff helped us then reset. And then you go, all right, well, Monday is the day we'll try again. And then you just reset the odometer. But if you go into it with, with pain and with resentment and with ongoing angst about your own personal failures, uh, then that doesn't help anybody.
2: Yeah. That's, that's well said. Well said. So before I get to my closing question, I want to ask, what is the, what's the best way for people to find you? Is it just to go to scotthanselman.com that I'll put in the show notes? Is
1: Yeah. If you, my last name is Hanselman, like Hansel and Gretel. If you just go to Hanselman.com, uh, my last name, you'll find up in the, in the top, I've got my YouTube. I've got a newsletter. I think a newsletter would be the fun thing to do. I've got a, a very occasional couple of times a year newsletter, which is just fun links. I'm not selling you anything. Uh, nothing uh, that I have is for sale. Everything I have is free blog, podcast, newsletter, all that stuff is all good fun. So once you go to Hansman.com, you can find me on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, everywhere. So wherever you are, I'll be there hanging out and, uh, and sharing my thoughts.
2: All right. So now to the closing question, I ask all my guests, what is the best thing about being a parent?
1: What is the best thing about being a parent? I have a bunch of, um, of tweets. I actually made a whole Twitter about it, uh, about my kids and the crazy stuff that they say. I think it's when your kid starts to say something that was unique that you never put in their head like they said a thing and it's not just them repeating stuff that you said it's like a complete unique thought sometimes it'll happen when they're two or three uh if they're a boy maybe when they're 15 um and uh i've got one in my twitter right here my seven-year-old said is beyonce marvel or dc (laughs) i was like that's such a good question like i yeah, we had a whole conversation about whether she was in the Marvel Universe or the DC Universe. And uh, like, wh- who, where would you, what were you thinking? How did you even come up with that? I would not even know where to come up with that. So, when every time your kid has a thing like that, I put it on Twitter because I use it as an archive. So, I have an archive of all the crazy stuff that my kids have said since they were born. One day I'll put it in a bathroom book or something. Yeah. A book of quotes. <laughs>
2: That, that is by far, Scott, the most unique answer. And this is, I think you're going to be a show like around number 50. And that's definitely the most unique answer that, that I've gotten on that, on that question. So uh, Scott, I know that you're extremely busy and you get requests like this all the time. So I can't thank you enough for being on the Emotional Balance Sheet podcast and uh, definitely look forward to uh, many more conversations to
1: come. Fantastic. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thank you so much. And I wish you all the best of success
0: with your show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast.